You're listening to the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Chats with Susan Burrell. I help strong, capable women who have pockets of self-doubt access their inner wisdom and clarify their own truth. This is where we have rich conversations about empowerment, radiating your brilliance out into the world and loving yourself more than you ever have before. And today I have a treat for you, a repurposed show from my broadcast radio show called Living Your Inspired Life. Enjoy. And today is going to be another amazing conversation because I am so grateful to have joining me today, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. Hi, Miguel. Hi, Susan. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on your show. I am. I'm really grateful. I you are going to be coming to the Ventura County area. You're going to be doing uh, a workshop at Westlake Center for Spiritual Living on yes. July 19th, right? Yes. Yes. Next weekend, well, two weekends from now, yes. Yeah, the, so it's going to, and it's going to be from one to four. So uh, I just want to tap on that at the beginning because I think this conversation is going to be all about that. Yeah. So what? Uh, so when uh, I saw the title of, you've written two books, and yeah. when I saw the title of your first book, the Five Levels of Attachment, I went, oh well, wouldn't you know it because I am so attached to all my stuff. <laughs> and so I'm grateful to have this conversation with you today, not just for me, but for our listeners. And then you've written a second book, Living a Life of Awareness. So I want to back up for our listeners who may not know your lineage. Could you explain that to everybody? Sure. Uh, my family is, comes from the descendants of Toltec masters, or you know, what they know as Eagle Knight Warriors. And, you know, it's, it's based on oral tradition. So the thing about oral tradition is it goes back as living memory. So my great-great-grandfather, Don Ezekiel, is the one who says we're descendants of the Toltecs. Um, along each generation who taught, they teach it in a way that's relevant to their own life, according to that present moment. My grandmother, Madre Sarita, taught in her own unique way. She opened up a little temple in San Diego, California, where she shared it with the community. And then her son taught it in his own unique way and, and wrote a book called The Four Agreements, Mastery of Love, Voice of Knowledge. And he, All of which I have, by the way, Miguel. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and from that point of view, I come from that lineage of sharing an old tradition that is meant to be translated into a language that we can all understand. So you can say that the, the name Toltec is a Nahuatl word that in English means artist. So if I use the phrase, the Toltec path of transformation, and translate it to 100% English, it means the artist path of transformation. Where where our free will, you could say, my yes and my no are the instruments by which I chisel or create my work of art, which is my life. My life is this clay that I work with, or the the, uh, the empty canvas that I continuously paint and not an image of a painting that either reflects the beautiful, harmonious dream or the most perfect nightmare, but I'm the one co-creating it with myself and with the people around me. So from that point of view, the Toltec is simply this philosophy that allows us to see how we create our own life and that we are the creators of that life and how we shape it. And at the same time, we're engaging our fellow man and our, uh, our sisters, our brothers, to create something together. And 
to me, that's the point where our tradition really flourishes. So each generation, like my brother, my dad, my grandma, they all teach differently. We all teach differently because we all, we all have our own life experiences that mold our life mm-hmm. and our teachings. And that's, you can say, the real teacher we've had is life. And so, and so that's true for every human being on the planet. The real exactly. teacher has been life. And if, we, yeah. and if you pay attention, you're going to become aware of what the lessons are. And, and like you said, what can you do to co-create your life? So and that's and that's a beautiful aspect of it, you know. It, it there's from that point of view, there's Toltecs all around the world. We just call them something different. We're all artists. And I like that. I like that artist. Uh, I, that it is artistry, because it really is about creation. And when we and, and in all the different uh, awareness uh, groups and books and uh, teachings and everything, it 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 boils down to that place of co-creation recognizing yeah. that I create my reality. Yeah, and, and the thing about it is that I create my own reality because I only control this free will that animates this body. You know, I, the, the, the energy I use to move my arms, to move my legs, is the same energy I use to make a thought. And when I say yes, I'm going to use that energy to create something, to manifest something. And when I say no... I'm not going to use that energy to manifest anything. So my no is just as powerful as my yes. So what we know as free will is basically being able to say yes and no with complete awareness without having an attachment impose its will onto my will. And all of a sudden, my choices, my yes and my no, become automatic. At that point, I'm no longer creating my work of art with awareness. I'm creating my work of art with without me knowing what I'm saying yes to it, I believe controls my ideas. My uh, 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 a condition imposes its will upon me, and I'm saying no when I want to say yes, or I say yes when I want to say no. So you can say at, at that point we're not living our life authentically. We're living our life as we think we should, and you can say that's the difference, you know, uh, between free will and a will that's subjugated. I want to versus I have to. I'm smiling here, Miguel, because you just described what I've been going through the last week (laughs) of saying of saying yes, when I really want to say no and and feeling subjugated and and then getting angry because of that and not realizing that, you know, I somehow I need to back up and say no before I said yes. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to people? uh, uh, that are continually in that place of saying yes when they really mean no. How do you how do you back it up? At, I want to like erase it, Miguel. I want to erase it and say no. I don't want to do that. Well, that's the thing. It's like at the, we we all learn to assert ourselves at a different stages of our life. You know, the the beauty of a of a two year old who's going through terrible twos is that they become aware of how powerful their words are. And yeah. at the, you know, and at the age of eight, you know, we, we have a language, but how we begin to subjugate ourselves is something we know as domestication. That's something in our t- tradition. Uh, domestication is a system of reward and punishment by which we model the behavior of an individual. And if they live up to the expectation, they get the reward, which is, since we're emotional beings, that feels like acceptance or love. And if we don't live up to it, then we get the punishment, which is rejection. 
Like an example, uh, imagine me at the age of eight and I'm learning how to assert myself, which simply means I'm learning how to control my no. No. It, it feels wonderful. No. It, feel, it feels great. And then my grandmother it asked me to have a bowl of soup. And I say, no, I don't want to. And she goes, honey, it's, it's good for you. It, it'll make you big and strong. No. But honey, it look, here comes the play. <laughs> no, I don't want to. She's respecting me because my no has some worth, and she doesn't want to impose. But like any parent, I'm a parent, so I totally understand that, that, that threshold where she says, mijo, because she really wants me to say yes instead of saying no. And because she, she can only control me with my permission, she says, honey, don't you realize how many children don't have anything to eat in Mexico and Africa and the States, and here you are wasting food. Honey, it's a sin to waste food. And I'm going, <gasps> I don't want to look like a selfish child in front of her eyes, but I really don't want to look like a sinner. So I say, yes, Grandma, I'll eat the soup. And I finish the bowl. And when I finish it, she says, that's my, that's my boy, that's a good boy. I get the reward. I got the reward for not, look, not looking like a selfish child, but more importantly, I didn't look like a sinner. And then fast forward 30 years later, at the age of 38, which is I'm now, I'm going to a Mexican restaurant, and they serve me this big old plate of food. And halfway through, my body tells me the truth. I'm full. And I hear consciously or subconsciously, I hear, it's a sin to waste food. And I answer consciously or subconsciously, yes, Grandma, and I finish the whole plate. Right. At, at that very moment, my body told me the truth. I can't handle this anymore. It's too much food. But a belief or a condition was so strong that 30 years later, I still said yes, even when I wanted to say no. And it's that powerful. So you can say that part of our domestication is that we're trying to live up to a a condition or expectation that says we're worthy of acceptance, we're worthy of love. And from that point of view, we reject our own no. We, we don't respect it. Or at the same time, we don't respect our own yes, because, you know, it's, it's not proper to say no to this person or whatever. And at that point, we're being, our will is being subjugated, not necessarily by uh, uh, an outcome, but it's completely subjugated to conditional love from this point of view. Like, what's going to happen if I don't have this? What's going to happen if I don't have that? Then all of a sudden, our will is just basically this manip uh, manipulated instrument that is not the instrument of our passion, of our, it's not the instrument of our inspiration, but it becomes the, in uh, the instrument of this conditional love that imposes its will upon me, and I'm the one doing it. Because... My grandmother said it to me once, 30 years right. ago, but I've been repeating it over and over again in my own mind, in her own voice, for 30 years, so I'm the one doing it. Yeah, so, it, and it sounds so, like this is this is probably a problem, issue, uh, condition that uh, people in the Western culture, uh, we don't even know that we got that going on, because I think everybody's been indoctrinated that way. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, is because the, the thing about conditional love, or you can say domestication, because we, when we talk about the two, they're, they're one and almost one and the same, because 
conditional love is the outcome of that domestication, but it's the way we control the will of another individual. Well, there's 7 billion living beings, human beings, living at this very moment, and each one of us with free will. And if sometimes we're going to have people who are doing something we don't like to, to do, or more importantly, they're saying yes to something we want them to say no to, or they're saying yes or no to something we want them to say yes to, we want them to do what we want them to do, and the one way to do it is to, for them to give us permission to control them. And that's the only way someone can subjugate someone, by permission. But and we the don't best even way know... to do that is to make them doubt themselves. Oh. Because be, I was going to say, we don't even know that we're giving permission, to the, oh, especially it's, it's, if they're authority people or parents or something. Yeah, and, and, and it's because we think that that's the way we, love should be. Like, I only love you if you look like Winona Ryder. I, I only love you if you look like Ronaldo from Portugal. <laughs> it, it's, it's, uh, it, we have this image, this standard, and we're making someone live up to this image, and we're doing it to ourselves. Whenever we look into the mirror, for example, I can look at myself in the mirror and say, the most handsome version of me is 27, weighing 170 pounds, and a full set of hair, and I look myself in the mirror, and there's no way, I'm not even close. <laughs> I'm 38, I weigh 200 pounds, and my hair is what it is. But if I judge myself, I'm judging myself for this image that doesn't exist, but I'm still trying to mold myself into it. I can go get my surgery done. I can go try and work out and healthy. And if I'm, and my body is what it is. My body is the way it looks like that. I can, go, of, of course, go to the gym and take care of myself, but there's a difference between taking care of myself and subjugating my, myself to a point of view that's going to reject, my, reject me based on this image. I, right. can, I can also reject myself as I'm Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. If I take things personal, how can I take, call myself Don Miguel Ruiz Jr.? If right. I make an assumption, how am I not? How can I call myself a Toltec if I don't know the, one of the four agreements? And at that point, I'm using the four agreements not as an instrument for transformation, but as an instrument for conditional love. I, mm-hmm. I, I turn them into the four conditions of my personal freedom. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I begin to subjugate myself. And the reason why it feels well almost natural is because we're so used to it. We're so used to this form of love that we don't accept ourselves for who we are. And when we don't have that for ourselves, then how can we love our wife or our kids or even the world? We're trying to domesticate the world to fit what we think it should be when it's already perfect. Oh, my goodness. So let's talk about that piece of it, the, because I, wanna, I want you to speak a little bit about the five levels of attachment, your book, The Five Levels of Attachment, because, um, like I said earlier, I'm attached to so much, and I think that's true for everybody, it, you know, whatever, attached to how the expectation of what the outcome should be of a situation or mm-hmm. attached to the job or the marriage that is it's just done or attached to like you just explained a younger version of me when you're not even being present with who you are now yeah so can I I want to read a quote from that book and and then I want you to um, go over it for with me for our sure. listeners um, in that in the five levels of attachment you say when we believe in something so strongly that we lose awareness of our authentic self within the stories and comments of our internal narrators 
We are allowing our perceptions to make decisions for us. Therefore, mm -hmm. it's important to be aware of where we are on the scale of attachment with any particular belief because mm -hmm. with awareness, we can regain the power to make our own decisions, which is what yeah. you've just said. But so how do we, how do, we do it? Well, the, the, if we look at the five levels of attachment as an instrument rather than this uh, uh, model by which I should live my life, it's, it's an instrument that allows me to become aware. Like, like that, let's imagine a flower. Let's, let's call the flower awareness. At, and at level one, the authentic self, this flower is completely open because I'm completely aware that I'm this living being. You know, when, when my father held me in his arms for the very first time, or my mother held me in my, her arms for the very first time, they saw this, this, this person can be a soccer player or a, a doctor or a lawyer. We're seeing this child as this infinite opportunity because I'm a living being. So I'm aware that I'm alive. I can go in any direction in life because I am alive. An opportunity or a possibility that ends when I pass away, but between the moment I am born to the moment I die, I can go in any direction because I'm alive. I can move my arms. I can, and my mind can think of all these possibilities. And if I like one, I'll say yes to it and I'll, I'll manifest it. I'll use my body to create it. So at level one, that flower is completely open. So at level two, preference. Basically, I engage a moment. So the flower closes just a little bit. But when the moment is over, the flower opens up again. Wait, it's like I engage in a moment and I disengage. Okay, explain so, what that means when you say engage in a moment. Because preference, preference is something that's kind of throwing me off, Miguel. Well, imagine you're standing in the center of a point. And that point you can go in 360 degrees around you. Okay. So you, be, uh, preference is basically this is the direction I want to go in life. Oh, where we're choosing. So I choose to go or be, for example, I get invited to talk to you in this interview, and I say, yes, this is my preference. Uh -huh. And when the interview is over, I disengage. So the flower opens up again. So this was my preference at this very moment, and I'm talking to you, and I'm engaging you. And when this moment is over, I detach, and I open up again. So, so what I'm hearing you say when you say that, Miguel, is it's, a, it's almost like a, it's a quantum physics kind of idea of, of looking at the infinite field of flowers or potentiality and mm -hmm. focusing on one that makes it your focus for a while, and then when you're done, you disengage. Exactly. Okay. Right now, like, when, I, when I finish with this interview... Uh, there's going to be lunch ready for me downstairs. I'm, I'm going to engage my family in lunch. And when we finish, I'm going to disengage, and I'm going to engage my work. And then I'm going to disengage. I'm going to talk to my dad. I'm going to disengage. Basically, I'm engaging and disengaging or attaching or detaching every moment of my life. So you can say an attachment is basically making something that's not a part of you a part of you as you invest of yourself emotionally or psychologically or energetically with something. Mm -hmm. So at level two, I'm able to engage that something that's not a part of me, and I'm able to disengage that thing that's not a part of me. At level three, which is called identity, I engage that moment, and when I disengage, I'm still attached to it a little bit by calling myself a name. An identity is just a symbol that allows me to understand who I am by a definition. So you can say, at this moment, I'm being interviewed by you, 
And when I disengage from this interview, I'm still going to call myself an interviewee. Now an interviewee for the rest of my life. I was interviewed by Susan at the show, or I'm an author, or I'm a vegan, or I'm a San Diego's Padres fan, mm-hmm. and even when they're not playing, or even when I'm not eating. So I give myself an identity, a definition. So I've now attached myself to something by making it a part of me, even when I'm not engaging in it. So the flower doesn't open up when the moment is over. And if I begin to domesticate myself with that identity, then we go to level four, which is internalization. I begin to domesticate myself in the model of this identity, this thing that's not a part of me. I have to be a good vegan or not a good vegan or a meat eater. I have to be a good Padres fan or I have to be a good Toltec. And this is where the four agreements becomes distorted. If, uh, let's, let's use the image of the four agreements or right. what is a, to- be a Toltec. All of, uh, a level two and a level three, I can engage the four, uh, the four agreements. At level two, I use it as an instrument to inform my choices. At level four, I'm going to call myself a Toltec now because I've read the book. And then at level three, at four, I have to live up to this image. In order to be worthy of love, I have to be living the four agreements every day. Oh, I forgot the fifth agreement. Oh, no, how can I love myself? No, not right. I didn't. I forgot the fifth agreement. Be skeptical, but learn to listen. And all of a sudden, there's a downward spiral of self-rejection, of judgment, that for not living up to the expectation. And now I have this fifth agreement and I don't know how to be skeptical, and then I turn the four agreements into the four conditions. Then at level five, fanaticism. I become, at level five, that flower completely closes, where I only hang out with people who are impeccable with their own word. Hmm. I only (laughs) hang out with people who live up the fifth fifth agreement and all the agreements. Toltec is the only way. And at that point, I start shunning anything Outside, you know, you can say that at level three, I can like, I, I can call myself a Tulsa, but I can still hang out with a Buddhist or a Christian or a Muslim. Like, hey, we all love God. I love God. Let's talk to each other. You know, at I level wanna... four, at level four, I begin to domesticate and reject. And at level five, there is only one path. And at that point, I reject. So that's the thing about fanaticism. I turn something beautiful and turn it into something that's going to create a division. And we've certainly and, seen how that has or has not worked in the world of late. Yeah, because, uh, uh, because uh, those, all those beautiful traditions are about unity. It's about this thing about love. But our domestication can corrupt it to something that creates division. I only love you if you live up to the four agreements. I only love you if you're impeccable with the word. Oh, honey, you're not being impeccable with the word. How can, how can you be my wife? And, and, it, and that's where the domestication happens. So from that point of view, at level five, our will is completely subject because our beliefs control our yes and no. It even controls who is in our life, who we accept and who we not. But at level one, Everything is the beautiful grace of life, of God, of love. We are living beings. So, Don Miguel, so 
what we're then what we're going to be doing is in the next half hour we can talk about how we get back to that level one. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you're, I'm talking with Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., who is coming to the Westlake Center for Spiritual Living. You can go to cslwestlake.org. He's going to be there Saturday, July 19th, from one to four talking about living a life of awareness and the five levels of attachment. And I I highly recommend you go there. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be right back. Welcome back to Living Your Inspired Life. I'm Susan Burrell, and I just want to tell you about another event that's happening on July 19th. This one's happening at the Ventura Center for Spiritual Living. It's uh, an evening. It starts at 7 p.m., so you can go do the the workshop with Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. in Westlake and then head over to Ventura for a really wonderful evening uh, listening to a man that I highly respect. He's going to be on the show with us next week. His name is Napoon Mehta, and he has started something called Gift Division, if I can say it, Gift Division, which means giving out, and it's the radical practice of generosity in order to change the world. And he has been making... Uh, dramatic shifts by just being of service and uh, giving space for people. He has some websites where people all over the world can be of service with no strings attached. So that's at Ventura Center for Spiritual Living, July 19th at 7, Nipun Meta. Go see Don Miguel Ruiz and then get yourself over to see Nipun. You, you will you have been giving yourself the best gift ever for uh, Saturday in July. So with that said, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. is a, a Toltec master. And we've been having this conversation about one of his books called The Five Levels of Agreement. So before we went to break, Miguel, you went down the, the five levels until we're starting from this beautiful open being to this individual that's only in a a small subgroup of humanity and completely closed up. So how do you get back to being the open individual? Well, the thing about at level five is, well, there's a question that was got asked, and the question was, when did did we lose sight of our authentic self? Mm. And the the answer is, when we prefer the illusion or the lie over the truth. And the reason why we prefer the illusion is because in the illusion we find conditional love. We only know how to love ourselves with that image. What's going to happen with to me without this thing that makes me feel safe, that makes me feel at home? And all of a sudden, how can I live life without this idea, this belief, this, this concept? More importantly, how can I be worthy of love if I don't have this, especially after all these years? Like, for example, if you use the example of my grandmother with the soup, how do I know I'm a virtuous person or a kind person if I don't finish my meal? Right. And more importantly, how, how, am, I, how am I not a sinner? Mm-hmm. So from that point of view, the level of attachment at level five, you can say the difference between level four and level five, which is internalization and, domestic, and fanaticism, at, at level four, domestication looks like this. I, the reward for living up the expectation is love, conditional love. The punishment is judgment. I judge myself for not living up to the expectation. Thus, I begin to reject myself. So whenever we're, we're, we're judging others, we're punishing them for agreements they never made. So that's oh. what a judgment is to it. Wait, wait, wait. Judge. I want you to repeat that. 
when we are judging others, only because I got this going on inside me. Yeah. But when well, we're judging well, others, we mm-hmm. are punishing them for an agreement that they didn't make. Yeah. Okay. We all, like, in our life, every single one of us is an individual. And the agreements we make in life, and mind you, an agreement is just simply the action of saying yes. That's what an agreement is. I say yes. Thus, I make, I make it happen. I'm, I use this energy to manifest it. Mm-hmm. So in our lifetimes, each one of us lives life as unique as we have lived it. And we say yes to the things we've said yes to and no to the things we've said no to. This is what has led us to this point in life. And everyone is unique. So the experience, for example, that you had is different from mine. So if I judge you and I, I'm judging you for an agreement I have made in my life, I've said yes to this, like I should eat this soup and against my grandmother. And then you finish, don't finish your plate, and you have food there, and I judge you. Oh, you're a sinner for wasting food. Then I'm judging you for an agreement you never made in your life. You didn't have that. But I'm, I, I got, I, because based on my uh, domestication, I only see it in this way. So now I'm judging you. I'm, I'm reprimanding you for agreement you never made. But with the punishment, I'm wanting you to make the same agreement, too. So now I want you to finish everything on your plate in the same way my grandmother was taught the same lesson from her parents. Oh, my goodness. I think you've just described the entire American society and culture because well, it's, 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 it's all every, about it's, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's not just American because Mexicans have it, but humanity has that. You know, that duality between the opposite of love is not, love, uh, it's not hate or anger. The opposite of love is love, which basically means the opposite of conditional love is unconditional love and vice versa. So in humanity, we have people who have lived their life as unique as they have lived it with free will, and then there's the people who have been subjugated by conditional love. And when we do that, we're basically, it's a war of imposing wills, of who's going to domesticate who, who's going to control who's to that point of view. And when that happens, well, it's a complete conflict, a perfect nightmare of of whose conditional love is more than the other. So from that point of view, fanaticism, and the reward is still the same, conditional love, but the punishment is going to be hate, anger, sexism, homophobia, all these things. Like people can say, get to the point in their fanaticism where a belief is more important than their life. That in order for you, like say, for example, my daughter marries someone, and I'm so fanatical. How dare you marry that guy from across the tracks? i much rather see you dead because now I have to. Like, that's the only way I can save your soul. That's the, that's the belief of a fanatic. Basically, lo- death in the name of love, where the punishment is that since you didn't live up to this idea, an idea is more important than someone's life. So you can say that's the most attached point because... We're not even valuing each other's life. It's easy to kill or harm someone when we don't see their humanity. We only see the personification of an idea that I don't agree with. Right. That's why when when, when we we hear political discourse, they're not talking to each other as human beings. They're they're labeling each other a conservative or liberal or et cetera, et cetera. It's easy to put down or reject someone's opinion when they don't fit 
our acceptance of what should be, especially with conditional love. And, and it's so, point, and it, it becomes so vile and vicious, and people don't even they get so upset about stuff that they've made the judgment over that, and they want you to either get on board, like you said, or then you know get out of my way. And that's that's just not a way, healthy way to live. Period. And 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 the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and what makes the illusion strong is that they're being virtuous, that they're living up to that image of conditional love. That they're, they're, they're right to do it. And when that happens, we can corrupt the most beautiful tradition. Doesn't matter where, what part of the world. We can corrupt it and distort it. And all of a sudden becomes the, the face of, of, of death. You know, we can already, in our imaginations, think of so many beautiful teachers and beautiful artists that taught us how to love each other unconditionally. And yet, because we need to be, to be right, we'll, we'll basically distort their words to fit our point of view. So, so we, we, we begin to distort knowledge. We be, begin to distort our agreement to fit that perception to the point where we don't even accept the world as it is. It has to live up to this image. It sounds like we're all living in this world of illusion, Miguel. Well, yeah. And, and our, if, if we see it, what we know as the dream of the planet, because... Our, well, in our Toltec tradition, the, fu- the main function of the mind is to dream, which simply is to perceive and to project. So one way we create the agreement is our belief. Our, our words that we use have meaning because as a society or as a culture, we give it a definition. And we can have words that are an innocent term here in the States, but in, in, in the U.K., it could be in a complete obscenity. You know, a, a right. simple word, yeah, there's words, and I'm not going to repeat it because I might get in trouble, but, <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's, there are words, like more, uh, an, an innocent term would be, for example, pants. I'm, I'm wearing pants right now. I want you to see my pants. And if I go to the U.K., I'm basically saying, I want you to see my, my underwear. That's what pants mean oh. over there. They, they know, pants are called as trousers. Right. So if there's little variation, but w- with that meaning, is that the agreements that we create in our, our life is basically set by our, those ideas. Basically, if we step outside the building that you and I are in, and we go and look around the buildings that surround us, we will see the buildings that this community or our community said yes to. What we do not see are the buildings that this community said no to. So our yes and our no is how we construct something together. So from that point of view, our beliefs, means something because we give it meaning. So from that point of view, that's the illusion. The illusion is basically the dream of the planet, or you can say the agreements we make with one another. What is the truth? Or you can say life as is, is the earth. You, me, everything in life exists, and it's perfect. But we give it a meaning. There was this expression... Actions speak louder than words. Well, let me add something to that. We use words to describe every action, and that's where the illusion comes in. The words we use to construct our society is an illusion set by agreement. For example, 50 years ago, to say I live in a red state meant that you lived in a communist state. Right, right. But now, 50 years later, 60 years later, to say we live in a red state, we live in a conservative Republican state. So the, the, the word, the, 
the, the phrase red state is the same, but the meaning has shifted because the, the beliefs and the ideas have shifted, have changed. So from that point of view, the illusion is simply the agreements we make. But what is truth is the action, life. You can see all around you, and if you see the world, you see it. You see the truth. You see the trees. You see the kids playing in the in the park. You're seeing all of these actions, and what the illusion is, our interpretation, the meaning we give it. So from that point of view, it's basically this relationship between the mind that allows us to understand and the symbols we use to have that understanding. So from that point of view. I know it's a little confusing, but basically, my, if I use my body, for example, my body is the truth. My idea of what the body should be is the illusion. If I look at myself in the mirror, if the, the handsome version of me is that 27-year-old, the illusion is the belief of that 27-year-old. The truth is this person who's standing right here, right now. So when we domesticate each other, we're trying to fit into a belief that only doesn't exist. It's only existing because we agree with it. As soon as we change our mind, even that idea changes, like a red state. So one of the things that you are are talking about when you do your workshops is, is this idea of letting go of the fear of what you are without your beliefs. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you've just described to us what how the what the beliefs are and how they create the illusion and how we. And they kind of double back on you so that you mm-hmm. don't even know where the belief began or the illusion. But, mm-hmm. but this is what caught my attention is this, who would you be if you weren't your beliefs? And I well, think the fear uh, uh-huh. factor is huge for people not to even look at that this judgment or this belief or this no, I said yes to or yes, I said no to is what's keeping me hooked. Well, I, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a juxtaposition. I grew up Catholic, and I grew up Toltec. As Catholic is no longer religion. Uh, sorry, Toltec is no longer religion because as a society, it ceased to exist over 500 years ago, so it's not a religion because of that. It's a philosophy. But since I grew up with it, there's, this, there's two images, there's two stories that run parallel to one another that I've noticed. In my Catholic tradition, there's the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. Mm-hmm. And in the Toltec, there's the mask of Tezcatlipocatl, which is the smoky mirror, the smoke that doesn't allow you to see who you are. If I use the two images and I put them together, then I, I'll put it to you in the, in, in, with the five levels of attachment. At level five, I have a smoke that doesn't allow me to see beyond the tips of my nose. Mm. That's, so that's the Tezcatlipocatl right there, the smoky mirror. That's basically, imagine the tree of life not being able to see beyond the tips of their nose. It's, everything is a distortion. Then I, I, I'm able to let go enough to clear some of that smoke, and I see a reflection in the mirror, and I believe the reflection to be the truth. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if you use the image of the, of the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, all of a sudden that smoke clears, and I see the tree of knowledge, which is a reflection, and I believe the tree of knowledge to be the truth just as in the image. So I begin to say, think that the, what I see is the truth and not me. I'm not the truth, but what I see is. So I have to live up to that image. I have to live up to that tree of knowledge. I have to live up to that reflection in the mirror. 
at level three identity, I'm able to let go of the conditions that make me want to live up to that image. And me and the reflection are one. Knowledge, the tree of li- knowledge and a tree of life are one. They're a perfect mirror for us. So as a, in the total tradition, that's the mask that I put on. The, 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 the reflection I see is the mask, and I am the mask. So the mask is simply the identity. Then I become aware that I'm able to take off the mask. I'm able to take off the mask, and you can say I become aware that the mask is not truth, that I am the truth. If we use that with the image of, of the tree of life, the tree of life becomes aware that, the, that it's the truth, and the tree of knowledge is just reflecting the tree of life. Oh. And at level one, I am the truth. I am life. I am aware. I am here. I level, I level at, uh, with a tree of life and tree of knowledge. There's only been one tree. The other tree didn't exist. Right. So if I use that parallel with one another, if I use those traditions, I become aware that every belief I have, if I, if I pay attention to every belief in my belief system, at the root of them there's a yes. There's nothing in my belief system I said no to. There might be something I said a negative that I said yes to, but anything I said no is not in my belief system because I don't give it meaning. I don't give it attention. I don't give it energy. The only thing I believe are the things I've said yes to. So if there's anything negative in my belief system, I have the complete freedom to change my mind, to turn that yes into a no. Something that at level four and level five, fanaticism and internalization, I don't realize that I have that choice because I thought that that agreement, that belief, was the truth. And from that point of view, my free will is simply I give life me or meaning or power or you can say I can make something have value with my agreement. Let's say, for example, be impeccable with the word. The word Every word that we use in our vocabulary is an empty symbol whose definition is completely subject to my own agreement. So to be impeccable with the word really means to be impeccable with your own intent because it is your intent that gives that word meaning. It is our intent that gives a word an emotional charge or a negative charge or a positive or good or bad or right or wrong. We can use a word that's innocent in the States and and a terrible curse word in the U.K., we're in control of how we give things meaning. And it's a beautiful thing because when we pass away, all those things cease to have meaning. In fact, all my beliefs cease to exist the moment I pass away, just as my body ceases to exist or turns into a corpse, my beliefs no longer have power. Right. But while I am alive, all my beliefs have meaning, have power, because I give it life. So from that point of view, every tradition that teaches us unconditional love have power because we give it power. And that's the beautiful thing. Yes, at the beginning of the show, you were describing how to let go of all that junk in our, in our mind. Mm-hmm. Well, that junk is there because we believe it and we put it there. And we have the perfect freedom change that yes that gives that junk life into a no and cease to exist. I accept the truth. For example, I forgive my grandmother for using that condition on me. 
and I forgive myself for repeating that for 30 years. Okay, so I just heard you use the F word. I'm, I just did because you said forgive. Yes. And for so many people, that is the bigger challenge. And, and, and we tend, oftentimes we tend to forgive with conditions because we, <laughs> and believe me, I've been walking this path. And I noticed that the forgiveness uh, does, if you, if, when you're reaching those different depths and levels of forgiveness, there is fear that attaches itself at every level as well mm-hmm. uh, until you can finally get to that place that you just described where you can look in the mirror and it's no longer a smoking mirror. It's just you. But the forgiveness process and, and, and all of that, the forgiving myself, forgiving, you know, the person that I thought did, did me done wrong is, is challenging for most people, and people avoid it. Yeah. Well, the thing about forgiveness is that we've associated with condoning. Like, we, 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 we think, oh, it's okay, you, you could, you know, it's, 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 it's part of us. But the thing about what makes forgiveness powerful is that, it allows us to accept the truth, and we can let go of that 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 energy, that that thing, and we can let go of it. Here's the thing about life: life domesticates us too. Because like I, I was trying to figure out how to live life without domestication, and it's difficult because we misunderstood we, we misunderstood it, or we we've been misusing it. Mm-hmm. You see, life is the as con- action reaction. For every action we take, there's a consequence. A natural consequence. For example, if we lived up in Canada, and we live in a place that has a lot of snow, so if we don't get all our wood during the summer and the fall, we don't harvest our food, and we don't keep it during the winter, we're going to suffer the consequence of not doing that. So we've created action-reaction consequences for every action. We create loss, and we have consequences for those loss. That's the difference as a condition. Now, we distort it because we say, if you want to live up to my expectation, you have to live up, you have to be worthy of, of it. So if you're not worthy of it, you're going to be subject to my punishment. But if you live up to it, then you're going to be worthy of my acceptance. So they mirror each other, but there's that distortion. So when we forgive someone, we're basically accepting the truth of what's happening, and we've decided not to let that poison or that action harm us anymore nor will we carry the concept uh, uh, carry the weight of it but we're still going to allow the consequence for example imagine that uh, a scenario of a couple that the husband cheated on the wife and the wife forgives the husband but still divorces them and says hey hey i thought you forgave me well i forgive you but there's still the consequence this relationship is over because you violated my trust the, the consequence is still there, but I am not going to carry the weight of the anger or the hatred towards you. I'm not, I'm not going to be angry at you, but you're still going to suffer the consequences. So, Miguel, I guess I'm trying to... F- I, I, I totally agree. You've just described my life. I can't even believe it. And I, I'm also wondering, for people that are listening, this, this fear factor that keeps us stuck in, in those beliefs and, and looking at the smoking mirror with all our different masks on, it, is there an easy way to get through it? 
or is it like a life dedicated? You've dedicated your life to this. Your whole family has dedicated your life to, you know, unearthing and 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 teaching about this stuff. But is there an easy way? Well, yes. <laughs> I know is. that's a loaded question. I know. No, no, you know, there, it, it is. Um, and Alcoholics Anonymous and any rehab has taught us that it, it is. It's the moment of clarity. A moment, and when a drug addict or alcoholic becomes aware of the truth, my dad refers to it, or we know it as the the, mo- the single point of uh, uh, of opportunity, the the minimum opportunity. The moment of clarity is basically that moment where we become aware of what we've created, and we have a choice: do I continue or do I let go? That if we decide to continue, that we're going to continue on with the drugs or we're going to continue on with the illusion. We become aware of the truth of the illusion. For example, in my case, my, I'm, my name is Miguel Ruiz Jr. If I want to domesticate myself with the image of Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., the truth is that guy does not exist. Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. does not exist. I exist, this human being. And I become aware that I've used the four agreements to domesticate myself for all those years. All right, now I have a choice. Do I continue to domesticate myself with the four agreements, or do I let go? And part of letting go is like, all right, I'm going to shift my life, and I'm going to let go, and I'm going to forgive myself. Forgive them, Father. They do not know what they do. Forgive me, Father. I do not know what I do. Forgive me, Grandmother. I use your words to go against me. Forgive me, Father. I've used your words, and I've used all the people who are fans of my father's book to impose that condition upon me, mm. I forgive you. Mm. And now that I have the aha, aha moment, that moment of clarity, it is going to be my effort and my discipline that's going to allow me to redirect my life. Just like a, as, as I'm able to take a step forward, that's the moment I choose to go in that direction of my preference. At any given moment, I can change my life. Because I'm alive. That's the, that's the thing about discovering our mortality when, when I'm dead. Well, that wraps up our chat for today. Thanks for joining me. And if you want to learn more, go to susanburrell.com. You can contact me through the website. There's blogs for you to read. There are videos to watch. And remember, I am an intuitive healer and spiritual guide at the crossroads of life. And I would be more than honored to help you on your journey to live an empowered life. And so it is. Namaste.